Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. All right, just one moment. Hey, Facebook, so glad that y'all could join on. You know, I really need to think of a better way to start that because, hey, Facebook just sounds so lame. Like, what am I, a boomer? Like, it doesn't make sense. Um, Hey, y'all. I'm so grateful for you guys being at Gravetop Church today. Um, I, uh, I'm just really, I've really been loving the series that we've been going through about the living one. And we only are going to have two more messages of the living one, one today and one next week. And have y'all been liking this series where we've just really been unpacking Jesus's address to the church and revealing himself? It's been kind of intense, right? I feel like, uh, even after last week, I was like, I think I need a break. Like, <laughs> I'm starting to, like, whoa. <laughs> and um, I'm really, uh, it just works out so well to where how Jesus reveals himself to this church. I really believe that today's message is um, designed to be an encouragement to you. Um, and as we get started, I'm going to um, I'm gonna uh, read through the scripture and we're going to be in Revelation chapter 2, verses 7 through 13, and I'm going to read all of the, the passage first, and then we're going to go back and unpack the scripture. And today's title is What I've Been Waiting For. Yeah, see, y- y'all felt a little encouraged just from that, right? What I've been waiting for. And so the scripture is, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who, and who shuts and no one opens, says this, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut. Because you have a little power and have followed my word and have not denied my name, behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie, I will make them come and bow down before your feet and make them know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word of perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing. That hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth, I'm coming quickly. Hold firmly to what I have to hold firmly to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God in the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God in my new name. The one who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What's what's really interesting about these verses is that when we just read through them, it's so easy to just not understand what we read and move on. And while the scripture, the, the word of God is powerful enough to still uh, plant seed in our hearts where even when we don't understand it, it grows. We're, what, we're gonna, what we're doing throughout this whole series is learning how to go back and reread what we read so that we can unpack it and understand it. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And so with our first point, we're going to look at, we're going to be talking about authority and access. Authority 
and access. God promotes people based off on their integrity, not talent. God promotes people based on their integrity, not talent. I feel like this has become a churchy idea about integrity. And because uh, I feel like it's been talked about, integrity is, is talked about so commonly, it's lost its weight. I mean, y'all know how I love talking about politics, right? Have y'all noticed that like just in the presidential debates, both candidates were talking about integrity and was not everyone just like kind of scratching the back of their head like, what? <laughs> Do any of y'all have the <laughs> capacity to talk about that? And, and integrity, because that word is just tossed around so much, we have almost lost the, the depth of its meaning, the strength of what integrity is. Did you know um, integrity has multiple, multiple ways that could be used in vocabulary? You could talk about the integrity of your chair being able to hold you up. And see, I feel like almost like that idea of integrity gives the best display. Integrity is what is able to hold people up. And even when it comes to your uh, job places, have you ever noticed that the best jobs you ever had were with managers and bosses that had great integrity? And some of the worst jobs you've ever had were the, the managers and bosses that had no integrity. And integrity can cause places to grow. And God promotes people based off of their integrity and not their talent. So often we focus on the reverse and we pursue talent. We pursue showing off. And especially like within our, our social media complex, we have grown so accustomed to showing the picture of ourselves instead of the real self. And it's so counterintuitive to how God operates. Let's look at this first scripture now. This first verse in uh, verse 7 says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one will open, uh, says this. So, a way to break down scripture is to really, uh, if you have like a Bible, it, it helps so much to have an actual Bible because you can underline in it. With with I love the YouVersion Bible app. It's like with kids, that's the only way I can read the Bible <laughs> is on my phone. But whenever you're you're trying to understand scripture and you look at a verse and you want to unpack it, one of the ways you do that is you underline the words that are heavy, the ones that are just speak out to you. And so here, when we're looking at how Jesus describes himself, the very first word that we would want to highlight is holy. He's, he defines himself, he is holy. And then it says, who is true. Let's pause right there. Holy and true. Do you see how simple those words are? And we can graze over it and just not really understand the depth of what those words mean, just like how we described integrity. So when it says Jesus is holy, what does that mean? It means that Jesus is pure, authentic, and he's unlike anything else. And so really understanding that the idea of being holy, it means that he's not like anything else. The world tells us that every religion is the same, that Jesus is just like every other religion. But holy means to not be like anything else. It's so, indis uh, indistinguished. it's so distinguished 
that is different from anything of this world. And so right here, it's showing that Jesus is completely different than anything that we've known in our past. Anything that we feel like we've discovered, it doesn't compare to Jesus. Does that make sense? And, and then when it says that he's true, think about uh, the idea of truth. Did you know that there's some philosophies that's, that, that argue that there is no such thing as truth? That there's no such thing as truth, that everything is ever-changing. If that there ever was a truth, that the only truth would be that everything changes. And it's a really interesting philosophy to look at. Um, it, it, it does have its own fallacies. For example, it, it doesn't give a point to be proven wrong, and it uses um, self-defeating statements like saying, nothing is true. Well, that's a truth statement. And so those are fallacies within um, ideas that sound smart but aren't really able to be right. Does that make sense? Um, and so when it says that Jesus is true, the reality is true truth is actually incredibly hard to find and establish. The uh, truth is, is that one of the most um, compelling forces in the world is change. Everything changes. People change, not only physically, but internally, emotionally, spiritually. Our environment changes. Even if you were to say, well, the sky is always blue, it changes throughout the day. It's not a, it's not a lasting truth. And even if you were to try to say, well, the sky is blue during the day, well, actually, it's just the pigment of the sun rays hitting our atmosphere. So it's like nothing is truly true. And so for Jesus to be true, it's one of the most profound statements that we could hold on to, to know that when he says he is everlasting, it's not just like another thing that is true forever, but that it is a solid truth that is unchanging. And when you think about what is true, what does truth bring? Truth brings reassurance and goodness. There's something about truth that, that makes people feel good. It's like I can I can trust truth. It makes you uh, it takes away insecurities and it reassures you of what's real. That's why honesty is one of the most important things in relationships. When you when you know that the person you're with is honest, that truth it gives you so much reassurance and goodness with that relationship. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And while at the same time bringing reassurance and goodness. It cancels what is confusing, insecure, and wrong. A truth cancels what is confusing, what is insecure, and what is wrong. And if you really dig deep to just that statement alone, that truth cancels what is confusing, what is insecure, and wrong, just that alone is something that we could all use right now in our lives. I mean, how insecure do we get throughout the week and just and just day to day activities and our different roles at our jobs as a parent, as a spouse, as a as a daughter, a son, whatever it is. We get we get insecure so often at so many different levels. And how quick is it to get insecure? It's like that. Sometimes people don't even need to say anything. You just you thought of it all on your own. It comes that quickly. But truth brings a reassurance and it cancels out insecurity. And so we see what is, now we understand what is holy and what is true. And these things, Jesus being holy and true, 
is actually what qualifies Jesus to have this key. This key of David, what it's, it, what it's referencing is the key of the Messiah. It's like the promise of David fulfilled in Jesus. And it qualifies him to be able to hold this key because he is holy, he's pure, he's authentic, he's not like anything else, and he's true. He's good, he brings reassurance, he cancels what is wrong. These things qualify him to have this key. And the reason I'm taking so much time to emphasize this is because the fact that Jesus holds himself to be qualified with this principle of integrity, of being holy and true, he doesn't, he doesn't reference himself as the one who performed all these miracles on earth. Does Jesus ever, in all these different churches that we looked at, has he ever even referenced himself from the things that he has done? He's only referenced the qualities of his character, his integrity. Not once has he actually said the, the one who healed the blind and, and healed the sick, the one who multiplied the bread and fish. He, he didn't show any of his talents or his works, but he always goes back to his character and integrity. And it's giving us such a, a, an example to follow of Christ of what he's calling us to be. We get so caught up in the details of, well, I, what, what do I want to do for God? I want to do something good for God to make him uh, you know, like me. I want to make him proud. I want to be a good Christian and feel like I earned something in heaven. And here, God is telling us not, that Jesus doesn't even look at himself like that. And that he's calling us to, to go back to the simple idea of integrity, of truth. And when it, this key that he has says that he can open what no one can shut and shut what no one can open. What this resembles is complete authority and access. A person who has a key has the authority over whatever building that key belongs to. And they have access to go in. They have the authority to let, they have the authority to let anybody in that, um, that they see fit. They grant permission. And this, this simple idea that Jesus is revealing himself as a person who has authority and access to the world. And he's revealing himself to this church in this way. And throughout this whole church, this is one of the few churches where he doesn't have a correction or a rebuke. And he's saying, hold tightly to what you're doing. Keep going. I have all authority and access, and I'm going to open doors for you. Keep your integrity. And so he's trying to remind us, he's trying to encourage our faith to believe and hold strong because he will make it happen. Y'all feel that? And I want to do, I want to end this point with a, with a churchy question. And that is, what areas in your life do you give Jesus authority and access to? What areas in your life do you give Jesus authority and access to? And what areas do you not? And it's not a question to to make you feel miserable. It's not a question to make you feel insecure. It's a question to make you think and ask yourself, well, why don't I let Jesus in that area? What am I afraid of? Because it's a fear that is causing you to not let him in. It's not, it's not always this rebellious nature, but more so a fear. Y'all feel that? So y'all feeling good right now? Y'all like that 
we're starting off okay, okay? <laughs> um, so now let's go into our second point, which is endure the storm. Endure the storm. You will not be attacked for your current position, but for your greater potential. You will not be attacked for your current position, but for your greater potential. Let's look at what he tells us, church. I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut because you have little power and followed my word and have not denied my name. Another translation, the NLT says, I know that you have a little strength, but you have remained faithful to my word. I know He's saying, I know that you feel weak and that you don't have very much, but you still remain faithful. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie, I will make them come and bow down before your feet. And I will make them know that I have loved you. What's really special about this verse, especially how it ends, I'll make them know that I've loved you. Have you noticed that we have this innate nature to where we want to show how much we love God or how much we love others? I, I want to, uh, it's like this thing about us where we want to seem like we love God the most. But John, the one who's even the author of this book, he is actually the disciple that refers to himself in the book of John as the one whom Jesus loved. It completely changed the way that uh, the other disciples were trying to identify themselves. They would argue about which one of them was greatest. When Jesus talked about who's going to deny him, they all said, No, I would never deny you, Jesus. I would never betray you because I love you the most. And John says, It's not about how much I could possibly love God because that's so limited. It's about how much God loves me. That was his identity. It's about how much God loved him, how much God loves me, which is greater, far greater than any amount that I could love God. And so unpacking this verse, talking about enduring the storm, this, this church reveals to us some really close connections because it shows an oppression that they are experiencing from all sides. And even while feeling so insignificant and weak, they were a target for the enemy. Jesus even tells them, like, I know even with what little power you have, what little strength you have, even Jesus knows it. I know that you're just a little, little, uh, small little church right now. And I know that you don't feel strong. And he's telling each of us in our lives, I know that you feel weak. I, I know that you feel insignificant, but you've remained faithful. And because they were even feeling insignificant and weak, they were a target of the enemy. Not because of how much great things that they have done, but because of their integrity and because of their potential. Do you see how integrity is literally a target no matter how strong or weak you may feel, it's a target for the enemy because that's how much potential it brings. God truly blesses those he, who keep integrity, who keep to his word. And it is something so powerful that I feel like everything in this world will attack it. It's almost like the moments that you are on this road of integrity and you're trying to be strong and your integrity are the moments where it seems like everything attacks you at once. It makes me think a lot about 
um, how most people, when they give their lives to Christ, it becomes some of the hardest times of their life. It, seems, it feels like that's a moment where um, all of your past comes crashing over you like a tidal wave. It feels like all of your family that you wanted to lean on distance from you or attack you too. It almost feels like you're in a fight and the moment you, get, uh, you give your life to Christ, all these other people come in to jump you. And, and it's at this moment where you feel the oppression from all sides. All of a sudden, the, your, job, the, your job just starts to not working out. It seems like it would be easier to just uh, break your integrity at times and lie or do, uh, do what everyone else is doing. So that you can you can stop having to battle this idea of being honest. I think when I was in sales, that was one of the hardest things to um, overcome. Was it was so much easier to just lie to the customer like everybody else. <laughs> it it's just it was so much easier, but my integrity would would bother me the thought of doing that. And. You have to look at your, the moments of your life where your integrity is tested. And even at, even at the moment where you choose to, be, uh, to choose integrity instead of breaking, it doesn't seem like there's a payoff. In fact, it seems like I knew that would happen. <laughs> and it seems like there's no sovereignty. It seems like there's no justice. It just all crashed in just like you were afraid of. But see... The moment of integrity right there wasn't for that moment. It was for the future. It was a building block for something greater than what you could see that's right in front of you. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And even for this church, they're, they're feeling that oppression from all sides. That oppression. That oppression. And it makes me feel like the moments in our lives where we're going through things to where it literally feels suffocating. It literally feels hard to get out of bed because you feel all of this weights, all of this oppression on your chest. And it's those moments where you think, why should I even get up today? Unless you have kids and you're like, <laughs> you can't even think about that. <laughs> but it just weighs and weighs and weighs on you. But what? let's... Let's look beyond the oppression that we may be feeling or seeing right now and look at the opportunity that Jesus is talking about here. He says, I will open a door which no one can shut. That doesn't, I don't even know what that looks like practically, right? I just know that it's something good. I mean, like an open door. And what, what does an open door signify? It means a leaving of the place and oppression that you're at now and entering into a new place. And the way I, I see it is that these, these doorways are, have already been set up for us, but the enemy is the one holding it shut. The things in this world are holding it shut and, and trying to keep us in that, that dark room that we're at right now. But when we find the light, and we have this little tiny match in this room of darkness, it just irritates the enemy so much because there's nothing the enemy can do to that light unless you dampen it down yourself. And that little match that we have, if, I just want you to imagine yourself in this dark room 
and that little match that you're holding up, it can only light up so much. You may not be able to, it may not light up your feet. It may not light up behind you, but it's right in front of you and you're able to see the light. And that's what it feels like when you just like have that little bit of faith and you're just looking at that little tiny light and just hoping, but you can feel this darkness attacking you from the back, attacking you under your feet. You can feel it all around you and you're just trying to look at the light because everything else is dark. And that, that next room is filled with so many more candles. It's filled with so much more light to where the enemy won't be able to attack you like it did in the previous room. Is that this analogy making sense? And the reason that the enemy hates the light so much is because there's nothing he can do about it. Do you ever have to turn on the darkness? No. You only turn on the light and darkness immediately flees. That's how quickly Jesus expels the, the evil one. That's how quickly he, he makes the enemy flee, is that as, as quickly as you flip on the lights, and all of the d darkness rushes out of the room. And so for him to open this door, it's an opportunity. And he's giving this opportunity in the moments where you've remained faithful, even, even when you had little strength. Even when you just had that little match, but you just held on until it was burning your fingers. You just kept holding on even when it hurt. He's, he's, he has rewards for that. Like, and I'm not talking about just like uh, this idea of like money rewards. Like if you just hold on, keep your faith, God's going to cause you to win the lottery. Not like that. But there's some things that are so intrinsic in value that money can't compare to them. And there's a, they're almost like those those things deep in our hearts, those dreams, those, those aspirations, those desires. It makes me think about when I even met my wife. I mean, it, I was just holding on to this little match and this, and the idea of, of wanting that companion is a deep desire in my heart and wanting that companion, wanting that best friend, somebody to do life with, because I was so tired of being alone. And I was holding on to that match and keeping my faith. And there's, there's just opportunities where I could abandon integrity or keep this little match. And some of y'all know how I met my wife. She met my dad on a plane who never flies, and she never flies. And she started witnessing to him, trying to tell him about Jesus. This old man. <laughs> what? I mean, if you were to even think about sharing your faith with someone, would you think of sharing it with just some old man? You, don't we usually feel intimidated by age? And y'all see my wife, she's five foot. <laughs> At the time, she probably weighed like 100 pounds. And she, she went and shared her faith to an old man with gray hair who most of us would make excuses of why not to share our faith with him. Oh, well, they're older. They probably already know. But she started sharing her faith to this man, and he hooked it up. <laughs> my son's a lot like you. <laughs> and while we lived in different cities, God found a a. a, a a very interesting way to connect us to where now we've been married for eight years going on nine. Yeah. Whoop, whoop. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> Three kids later. <laughs> but what I'm getting at is that for me, that was a moment where I felt like God opened a door that no one could shut. It was, again, it wasn't a money thing. That's the way a lot of churches look at this scripture. It's like, oh, God's going to just pour out a blessing. You know what? Let's do an offering call right now. Pass the buckets. 
but it was something that that couldn't compare to any anything financially it was something so deep that only it was a door that only i knew what it was and when it opened i knew it was right that's why we only dated for six months <laughs> i knew that door was mine and no one was going to shut that door <laughs> and and so that opportunity that is specifically for you so many times we're waiting and waiting and wondering why that opportunity hasn't come and there's two reasons sometimes it's because it's an integrity thing and we've been slipping on that integrity we haven't been making it a, a line in the sand and the other thing is that we're that match is still burning that integrity is is being built you're standing on that integrity longer so that to, to make it strong so that you can put the next thing on top of it. Does that make sense? And with opportunity, uh, with all of the oppression you experience going into this new opportunity, that opposition that you're facing before is going to submit to you. Some of you are like, yeah, I want my boss to get on his knees. <laughs> I want that family member to beg me for forgiveness. <laughs> Crying. <laughs> that opposition, it says that he will cause the synagogue of Satan, who say they are Jews but, but are not, and he will make them come and bow down before you and make them know that I have loved you. See, this idea of that opposition submitting to you, it's what I see is that oftentimes when it's people... It's those who attempt to bypass God and are not able to, but are not able to ignore God's favor on you. There's so many times where people try to bypass God, and in this moment where God opens a door that only is for you, those people that were trying to bypass Him, ignore Him, and were oppressing you cannot ignore God's favor over you. Because it's like the moments that it doesn't make sense of why you got that promotion. It doesn't make sense why you got married. <laughs> like, it doesn't make sense why you got that door opened and they didn't. But that's how powerful God's favor will be to where no one will be able to ignore God's love for you, his favor over you. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And so my encouragement in this point is to endure the storm. Endure the storm. Endure the storm. And no matter how powerful and loud that storm feels all around you there's a moment when you just choose to be the rock just be a rock and place firmly in jesus and keep integrity and eventually that storm will just break around you and it won't be able to affect you anymore y'all feel that and so now we're going to end on this last point, and that is kept from blank. Y'all like that blank I did? You know, on my notes, it is a straight line. It didn't have those little dashes. But that's a 4K TV, so that's probably why we see the dashes there. This is 1080 on my, my tablet here. God's presence eliminates the pain of your struggling. God's presence eliminates the pain of your struggling. This last scripture says, Because you have kept my word of perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing. 
the hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I'm coming quickly. Hold firmly to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore. And I'll write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from out of heaven from my God, and my new name. The one who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What we're seeing in this scripture is, one, we see a glimpse of what a rapture looks like, saying, I'll keep you from the time of the great testing. It's, he's talking about Judgment Day. And, but what we also see is this, this um, almost like this ideology of God. You know, we, we consistently see God make references to where, if you, if you do this, I'll do this. If you stand before and, uh, and keep my name among men, then I'll keep you in the Lamb's Book of Life. If you deny me in front of people, then I'll deny you in front of my Father. He, he has this, like, these conditional aspects that he puts in Scripture. His love is unconditional, but some of, uh, some of the protections that he has, his promises that he's given us, are conditional. Does that make sense? And when we look at this Scripture and looking at the, the application to our, our lives and our hearts, we see this very powerful idea that when you keep God's word, he will keep you from, uh, from eternal harm, but also from pain of what you are currently struggling with. We see this idea of him, uh, you've kept perseverance, so I'll keep you from the synagogue of Satan. We, just, um, we see so, so consistently that God is holding firmly to his promise to us and so that we should hold firmly to this integrity, to this faith that we've put. And notice this part where it says, hold firmly so that no one will take your crown. It really reminds us of the struggle that we're in. This, this idea of someone trying to take your crown. Some, something that was given to you, but others can take if we let them. And... The world truly wants you to forfeit your future. The world truly wants you to forfeit your future, eternally and in this world. It makes me think of just like a teenager. At the time when you're a teenager, you don't really grasp the idea of your future. And even for me, a, a lot of it was just like, I didn't think I was going to live past 20. <laughs> I just couldn't even imagine living past that age. And it was the idea of like college and it was like, well, I'll probably be dead by then. So I'll just live in the moment. And when I look at the, what the world describes as like just simple peer pressures um, and common experiences for American kids, it just they just got to get it out of this system. I mean... Did you ever think as a kid when, when you had that adult tell you, oh, they just need to get out of the system, that you'd actually become addicted to alcohol? You thought you were just going to get it out of your system at 16. That's why you're able to drink early. And then all of a sudden, you can't put the bottle down. You know, these are, these are moments where I think back to and saw how it wasn't just a moment of, of um, an experience that every teenager goes through, but that was an attack on my future. 
I would have much rather not been forced to drink tequila shots in seventh grade and, and not struggle with an addiction to alcohol than have that experience at the moment. But see, the world warps the way that people's perspectives operate to where everything is just permissible right now. And it's just something that we, that we experience in the moment. And it doesn't, it, it, that has nothing to do with building an integrity that can last in your future. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And now we're, let's move on past our teenage years. That's just to give us a glimpse. Let's look at into right now and the things that are trying to keep us from our future now in this world and eternally. And there's truly just things working behind the scenes and in front of us that are constantly t- trying to take away our attention from what's really important. I think the, 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 the biggest eye-opener for me um, and the idea that the world is, is truly out to take your future was when the, years ago, the first time I had um, a girl hit on me while I was married. And I was like, I didn't even have to go looking for that. Like, this came to me. And to think that, to think that something so detrimental that would destroy my future, would destroy my future family, destroy my, the, the good marriage I have right now, that it came looking for me. I didn't even have to go looking for it. That's a, that's a terrifying thing to think about when you look at it from a spiritual perspective. We often think, well, I just got to stay busy to keep out of trouble. No, you don't even have to look for trouble, do you? <laughs> trouble will always look for you because the world, the enemy, is out to destroy our future in this world and the next. And so we have to be on guard so that no one would take our crown. If you want, if you want that, that special future here in this world, then you have to hold tightly to something. If you want that, that, that eternal salvation, then you have to hold tightly to something. You know, I, I know that I give a lot of references to marriage, but it's because I feel like marriage has become such a bad rap. Marriage has become like just... Um, like an ugly word when it truly has a potential to be special and I've often heard people tell me me and my wife like when they're talking about marriage and stuff and uh, how bad their marriage is or was I hear the saying well you know the grass is always greener and it's a really simple complex but we often think well this this land was just no good I thought it looked good from afar, but now that I bought the land, it's no good, and I just need to sell it and get rid of it and go to the next one. But every, every yard takes watering and care. I, I, ever since I had to water my grass, I've realized how much harder it is actually to keep your grass green, especially in Texas, right? And when you, when you think about how much work it takes to build a good marriage— me and my wife, we have a great marriage, right? Y'all see it? That's all right. Y'all saw it? You're like, wow, that's a, they're so such a perfect couple. <laughs> I don't know if y'all look mad or sarcastically smiling or what, but <laughs> but what I'm getting at is that 
the 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 moments that we've had were moments where one of us was weak and the other was strong to hold tightly. Moments like that. Moments to where there's a firm decisions that we'd have to make consistently over and over. When you think about the person that got the promotion, they're often the people that hold held firmly to showing up on time. Held firmly to, to taking on the extra projects while everyone was complaining about the boss or he doesn't know what he's doing. I, uh, that's not my job. The person that got the promotion was the one that was taking all those stupid projects that, <laughs> y'all know what I'm saying? It's, they're hold, it's about holding firmly and not letting anyone take your future. Holding firmly to it. And his, it, this struggle that we go through is very painful. I think about the moments that you've struggled in your life and has not experienced so much pain. Just raising kids. My, kid, my girl isn't even three years old yet. And I'm like, oh my God. It is so painful to, to be a parent. And the struggle that we go through is consistent for the rest of our lives. We are always going to have a struggle. We're going to have struggle in in our normal, the normal basics of life, like marriage, parenting, singleness, jobs, careers. And we're especially going to have struggles in our aspirations. If you want to start your own business, if you want to do something greater, if you want to rise above, you're going to struggle. It's struggle is going to be innate to everything we do on this world because of the curse of Adam. The curse of Adam was that by the sweat of your brow, you will reap. And as it goes on to say, even thorns and thistles. You, by the sweat of your brow, you're going to be, be able to just survive. And so what it's saying is that this world is cursed with struggling. But the difference here is that when it, when it starts talking about how his promise is an everlasting time with no more pain to that struggle. Uh, when it says he will make you a pillar in the temple place, uh, in the temple and place not to move, what it's saying is that you're going to be in the presence of God and you're not going to move from it. The presence of God brings peace. Do you know that Jesus' last promise to the disciples before he was taken away to the cross was that I, the thing that I leave you is peace. I give you peace as a gift to you. That was right before every single one of the disciples were martyred and tortured for their faith. And he promised them peace. Even in their struggling and their anguish, they were able to have peace. That's why Paul and Silas were able to sing in the prison cells after being beaten all day because they had a peace. And see, there's, no, there's not a promise that God will end our struggling that's where we've taken misconceptions from church preachings, thinking that, well, once I give my life to God, I won't struggle anymore. No, we're going to continue to struggle. The difference is we get to have God's peace with it, too. I don't have to smoke weed anymore to have peace through my struggling. I don't have to go to the things of this world anymore to make through the pain of my struggling. God's peace is sufficient and even greater. Y'all feel me? And this promise of peace he also says that he will write on you a new, the name of God, the name of God's city, and, the, and Jesus' new name in the resurrection. 
And what this is all signifying is this, this idea of him truly possessing us, having us, holding us, us belonging to him. And we have so many doubts in this world, so many struggles, so many insecurities, and just plain out agony that we experience in this world. But when we set our mind to, to endure it and, and look for God's peace in the middle of the storm, it truly brings about the special possession of the Holy Spirit to where it consumes you and you just you feel differently than you ever did before going through it. And I want us all to close our eyes and bow our heads. And I really believe that this title that we talked about today, What I've Been Waiting For, there's so many things that we're waiting for right now. Even some of y'all, with your, uh, you're waiting for the tax return and stimulus check, and you're thinking, oh, I'm waiting for that so I can get this, so I can pay that. Some of you have been waiting for things that are deeper. When I talk about peace in your day, that's what you've been waiting for. Talking about being, being happy. Even just that, the idea of being happy within yourself. That's something you've been waiting for. And maybe right now, you've been waiting for God to just speak to you just waiting for God to speak to you make it clear what is it that you're trying to tell me what do I need to know and if you're here right now and at at some point in this message you just have this this feeling within yourself that you need to trust in Jesus especially if it's the first time you've ever felt this decision needing to happen the Bible says that today is a day of salvation. Jesus consistently urges us to not wait till tomorrow, but make a choice today. And if that's you and you feel that stirring in your heart, with every head bowed and eye closed, I want you to just slip your hand up in the air. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front or anything. I just want you to have this moment between you and God and say, I know you see me. I see your hands. And now I want those of you who are here and you're just thinking about something in particular that's between you and God in a spiritual moment. And I want you to just talk to God right where you're at and ask him, Holy Spirit, what, it, what are you saying to me in this message? Maybe your question needs to be, God, what is it that I've really been waiting for? Have I really been just waiting for money? Or is it something deeper that I've been waiting for that I haven't seen yet? Have I really been waiting for an opportunity? Or am I really looking for contentment? What is it, God? 
And right there to yourself, I want you to have your own prayer with him. And just talk to him. Have a moment. And if you raise your hand and, and you know that today is a decision moment day for you. The Bible says in the book of Romans that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is who he said he is. That he's the son of God who rose from the dead after dying on the cross for our sins and the sins of the world. Surely you shall be saved. All, all that scripture is saying is that if you believe in your heart and you talk to God and are authentic about it, acknowledge what he did for you, that that conversation is all it takes to start this relationship with him, this, this journey of salvation. And so I want you to just have that conversation to God right where you're at. Lord, I pray that you solidify what we talked about today, that you solidify what you're speaking to every person's heart. And I pray that you finish what you started. I pray for your presence here today and that you just cause things to be abundantly clear in people's lives. In Jesus' name, amen. With In this same, uh, this same kind of mindset and spirit, we're going to go into a time of worship. Um, we're going to log off online. Thank you guys for being a part. We love you. Have a good life. I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.